All right, if you would, take your Bible out and turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We're going to spend some time diving into God's Word this, this morning. And once you get to Romans chapter 7, what I want you to do is just take, take, take a moment and uh, take, take your hands out. And I want you just to um, take a moment to look at your hands and uh, look at them again. Maybe you've got some freckles that you might notice for the first time today. Or maybe there's a cut that you're like, I don't know how they got there. But just take a few moments and just look at your hands. Look at the way God has intricately made them to do a lot of things. And as you're looking at your hands, I want you to think through this week, um, just for a few moments, like, what did your hands do this week? Think about, um, like, what, what they were involved in. How many, how many emails did you type? Or how many texts did you type? Or were you really productive with your hands this week? Or were your hands really, really idle this week? And, you know, when we think about our, our hands, we can think about the, the great power that we have in, in our hands. Like, as I think about my own life and I think about my own hands, I, I can do a lot of good things with these hands. Like, God has given me these hands, and there are a lot of things I can do with them. And, and this past spring, I started doing something with my hands that I'm very proud of, not in a boastful way, but in a, like, I didn't think I could do it kind of way. And with my hands this spring, I began building a playhouse for my children. Uh, I took a eight by eight frame thing and built this two-story like little house for my kids and uh, I was thinking like yesterday as I was thinking about like my hands did that and I sat back and I was amazed that my hands actually did that like there were a couple times that the nail I missed the nail head and hit my thumb Um, there was some some blood some sweat and some tears over this this playhouse but this as this this playhouse now stands erect in my backyard. It's a place for my children to play. And so I receive great joy when my children get to play in this playhouse. But I also sit back and I, I think sometimes as I'm having my morning coffee and I look at this, this playhouse, I'm like, man, I, I did that. Like, you guys did this. And I'm amazed by that. Now, I didn't do it by, my, by myself. I had some neighbors and some friends that came over and helped. Uh, I didn't know, like, what trusses were. And so a friend came over and helped with some trusses. Jesse did a great job with that. Uh, so, like, my hands did that. And so I want us to realize, and I think we know this, that in our lives, our hands can do a lot of great things. But, you know, over the course of my 38 years of life, I've realized that there are a couple of things that my hands can't do. Like the one thing that my hand can't do or my body itself can't do, like there's nothing that I can do to save myself. Like we, we've been learning as we've been walking through the book of Romans, we, we've learned that we're in this place called sin when we're born and we're in need of rescue, that if we, we live apart from Christ, that we will, will pay for our sins in eternity in hell. Like, so we need someone to come in and save us and we learn that Jesus Christ is the one that has come to, to make us in right standing with God. And so I knew at that po- moment in my life that I could not save myself. So I, I gave my hands up to the Lord and said, God, I can't do it. Please, please do it. And the Lord saved me. But then there's another thing that I've realized that I can't do with myself. And this is something that we've been learning um, as we've been walking through this specific passage in Romans, is that I cannot make myself holy. Like these hands 
are not capable of making myself holy. We know that the Lord has saved us, and he saved us for a purpose so that we become holy, so that we become less like ourselves and more like Christ. But the one thing that I've realized in my years of life, even though I've tried, I can't make myself holy. I can't muster up enough strength inside myself to manufacture holiness. Now, I've tried in my life many, many ways to, to go around this, and one of the ways that I've done that in my own life is to seek to become more moral. So I've used like morality as, as a way to, to kind of circumvent holiness, and somehow if I could change my behavior, if I can modify my behavior in such a way to live a moral life, then I can, then I can have this close, intimate relationship with the Lord. But what I found out is that God, in his sovereignty and his love for me and his joy for me, does not want me to be moral. He doesn't want morality to ooze from my pores as a being, as a created being from him. He doesn't want morality to be the thing that I seek. What the Lord wants is holiness. What we learned last week and the weeks before that is, is that believers, because Christ has saved us, that believers are obligated to holiness. God has made us with a purpose so that we become holy. So we're obligated to that because grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. We're obligated to be holy. And lastly, week, specifically as we began looking at Romans chapter 7, 1 through 13, we saw that in this this. this pursuit of holiness one of the things that people try to use in order to become holy is ineffective in holiness and this is what we learned last week we learned last week that trusting in and living out the law is not going to bring about the holy life that i desire so paul basically goes to the law and says this is the law the law was given the law is good and the law is of the lord but the law is not going to bring about holiness if you try to live out the law if you try to use it as a checklist for your life and you say well i did this this and this so i'm good with god that's not going to bring about the holy life that god desires that's what we learned last week And this week we're going to ask ourselves the question, well, if, if not the law, if the law can't bring about the godly life that I, I desire, then where is that going to come from? Where is the power to change going to come from? And many, many people would say, well, if it's not coming from the law, then maybe it can be from within. Maybe if, if, if there's power inside of me, maybe I can make myself different. Maybe I can make myself changed. Like when we hear this, we, we hear things like self-actualization. Have you heard that? Like there's, there's great power and there's great potential inside of you. All you have to do is find it in yourself. Whatever you think you can be, you can be. Whatever you want to be, if you desire it enough, you can become that. That's what we hear in the world. I want you to believe today that we're going to look in Scripture that that is exactly not how to become holy. It's not going to come from this great potential from within you where somewhere you can manufacture it or muster it up. It's not going to come from there. And Paul's going to directly get to that. There's no such thing as self-actualization in the Christian life. There's no seven-step process or program that you go into to become holy. There's no behavior that you can modify or behavior modification to bring about holiness. That doesn't work. And what we're going to see is the answer to those things there is, is that it's not possible the answer is it must come from some greater place. 
And Paul gives us insight into this. As we began last week looking, Paul has has transitioned in chapter 7 of Romans. He he started out in the beginning of Romans talking about they, they, they. And then he's transitioned to saying we, we, we. And now he's going to be talking about I, I, I. So Paul is giving us insight into his own life so that we can see and we can learn about where he's coming from. And so he's going to talk more from a personal place where we're going to actually get to see his challenges that he's encountered in walking in this newness. And he's going to talk about how do we deal then with sin? Like how do we deal with this thing that's inside of us, sin? We know the good we ought to do, but yet we still do things that are sinful. So chapter 7, verse 17 Paul's going to dive into this, and he's going to begin to explain this to us. And this is especially important because we know that Paul, from his background and where he's coming from, Paul is a recovering religious person. Paul lived his life under the law, trying to to earn favor with the Lord or trying to be right with God by following the law. And Paul now is, is walking through this time where he's trying to recover from that old way. It was his old habit, his old way of, of trying to be holy. And now he's, he's come out of that because Christ is set free. And so he's going to share with us a little bit about how to become a re- recovering follower of religion. In verse 14, let me read it for us. And we're going to see in just this passage, just this verse, we're going to see two, na- two natures. And Paul is going to begin to uncover the battle of the believer. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. We need to believe this morning and begin to understand this morning is as a believer, there are two parts of us. Contained within us is a spiritual side. There's a spiritual side that is good, that is of the Lord. When you come to faith in Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and indwells your spirit. So in, or comes and indwells you. So there's a part of you that is the spirit. You have the full power and presence of the Lord inside of you. But then there's this, also this part of you called the flesh. And these two things are at war inside of us as believers. It's the battle of the believers. So this this spirit side that's in us has within it all potential towards godliness. We have everything that we need at the moment of salvation to live a godly life. That's what 2 Peter tells us. 2 Peter tells us that at that moment we got all of God. But then also at the same time, there's this part of us that that still craves control. There's this part of us called the flesh that still wants to call control the shots there's this part of us that wants to define what true pleasure is in life and this we want to define what pleasure is based on what we think pleasure is not based on what god says pleasure is there's this part of us not only that that wants to um, control our lives there's this part of us that wants to rebel against god God says, this is the way it is. This is the way I've created. There's a part of us that says, I don't want to go that way. There's a part of us we talked about last week. There's a part of us that still wants to dance with the line. As the Lord has says, these are the guardrails of your lives. These are the ways, these are the things I've, I've set in place to protect you so that you can know what holy living is, so you can know what pleasure living is. And he says, these are the guardrails that I've given you. But then there's a part of us that wants to dance with the line. And so Paul's saying this in in verse 14. This is the battle that goes on. There's the battle of the flesh versus the spirit. And what I want us to do with the time we have left is I want us to look at three necessities from this passage that we need for living a life of holiness. Living a life of holiness. Three necessities. And as we do this, what I want you to do is, is take just a moment. I want to see if you can identify. We're going to give you just like 
10 seconds to do this, but see if you can identify what is the deepest struggle of your life right now. What is the sin struggle that you're dealing with right now? Is it, is it addiction to pornography? Is it addiction to alcohol? Is it addiction to, to pride? Is it addiction to lust? Like, what is the big sin right now that you're struggling with? That you're like, God, I need help with. Like, like this, is, this is destroying my life. Like, you know today that your life is being destroyed by something in your life. I'm not, we're not going to raise hands and ask you to, like, share. And this is not confession time. But I want you to have that in mind as we, we walk through this. Because what you're going to see is that the way, potentially, the way that you've been trying to deal with that is not a proper way. And that's what Paul gets to. The first thing that we're going to see here is the desire to live a holy life is not enough. For desire alone will only lead to defeat. So desire is not enough. It's only going to lead to defeat. So if you're taking notes, write that down. We're going to look at verses 15 through 20, so read along with me. Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do. That's what I do is and I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, you may come to this passage and you're like, dude, sounds like Paul is having a schizophrenic moment. Like, he's like, I got this, I got this. No, but that, that's reality. Like, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you're like, that's me. Like, I've been there. Like, I, I'm battling this old life. Like, I used to be this way, but now the Bible says that I'm this way. And I, I don't know how to work this out. So Paul is saying, like, if you're there, he, he's saying that's where we are. And what Paul is saying here very clearly, he says, desire is not enough. Having the desire, if you have the desire within you, that's not going to be enough to bring about the holy life that you really want or that the Lord wants of you. But there is, desire is good. And we see here in this passage, there are two things that desire shows us. The desire to do that which is good is good, number one, because it shows, it's evidence that you have faith in Christ. Like if you have a desire in your heart to do that which is good, take heart because that means that's evidence of faith. Because we know in Romans chapter 1 and 2, those that don't know the Lord, those that are outside of the grace of God, those that are unbelievers... They have no desire to follow God. They have no desire to live for God. That's clearly what he says. And because of that, they will be judged. But desire is good for the second reason. Desire is good because it gives us an ability to discern. It gives us the ability to discern right from wrong. Where Paul says here, I don't understand why, and he asks the question, like, why am I this way? He says, I know, I desire but I do just what the opposite is. I do what I hate. He's able to discern what the right behavior is. He's able to identify also what is wrong. But what we need to see where desire falls short, is desire falls short in the fact that it has, gives us no ability to fix ourselves. 
having desire, you can have all the desire in the world to do that which is right. But it's not enough to fix you. See, desire helps us see the sin that is in us. Desire helps us to see that which I asked you to draw to the attention of your mind today. Desire for the Lord helps you to see your sin. It allows you to look inwardly and say, I know this part of me is not holy. I know this part of me is not something that God wants in my life, but I also know that I can't fix myself. For what we will try to do to our own minds is we'll try to say, well, I can fix myself. Like, I need Jesus to save me. I needed Jesus to come in and save me. Like, I got that. But then somehow we believe, like, we can fix ourselves up. Like, somehow I believe that if I'm good enough, if I'm smart enough, if enough people like me, then I can, I can be changed. Or if I somehow set up these, these parameters for my life, if I somehow set up these fences in my life, some ways to protect me from sin, then somehow I'm going to be sheltered from sin or somehow I'm going to be changed. Like if we think that we are going to be saved from ourselves by ourselves, then we're sorely mistaken. For Paul says in this passage, when I try to do that, when I try to fix myself, I'm only feeding my sin nature. That's what he says. When you try to do it that way, all you're doing is feeding that sin nature. And so instead of like feeding the spiritual side of your life that, that's going to bring about holiness and godliness, when you act like that, try to fix ourselves, all we're doing is feeding this, this sin side, this flesh side that we really want to try to kill. And we do this in our, our world the thing called behavior modification. Maybe you've, you've heard of this. This is, this is the world's answer to holiness or this world's answer to morality. They say behavior modification. If I can somehow introduce stimulus that's either positive or negative when I do the things I want to do or don't want to do, if I, if I can somehow give myself positive reinforcement, then I can somehow change my behavior. So if I don't want my kids to lie, okay, this is, I'm, I'm going to flip that. This is what my parents did as far as behavior modification in my life growing up. We had, we had problems with our tongues as kids. There were seven children in this house, and so we would always say nasty things to each other. We'd call each other names and all this other thing. And my parents' response to that was, this is good parenting. Uh, my parents' response to that was, well, let's, every time you say something out of your mouth that is despicable or something that we don't like, what we're going to do is take Tabasco sauce, and we're going to dip it on your tongue. Get a couple drops of tongue. You know, so because your tongue is sinning, so we're going to change the behavior by introducing a stimuli that is negative so that it'll bring about a positive result, okay, right? How many of you guys have ever done that? You're like, yeah. You can report my parents now because, like, the statute of limitations is way gone. Uh, but, yeah, they would used to introduce uh, Tabasco sauce on the tongue to try to change our behavior. Now, I want us to believe here today that that is not the way that the gospel brings about change. The gospel doesn't want us to introduce stimulus, whether positive or negative, to change our behavior. The gospel wants us to place it all at the feet of Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit wants to bring about that change. Not that the change comes from within us, but it comes from the Spirit that is in us. You see, behavior modification only cures the symptoms. It only takes care of the symptoms. It doesn't take place of curing the cancer that is in us. It doesn't take place of changing this heart of flesh or the spirit of flesh within us. We need something greater. We need something more powerful. 
For if you've lived your life trying to fix yourself, it only leads you to a place of defeat. That's why, that's why having desire is not enough because desire is only going to lead you in a place of defeat. It will bring you to the place where you understand, you look at your life, you look at your sin, and the only response that you can have is, I can't. I can't. I, I may be able to change my behavior for a little bit, but in the end, I can't change myself. That's what Paul's getting to. The second thing we're going to see is not only um, is desire not enough, we're going to see in verse 21, delighting in the law is not enough. For delighting in the law is only going to lead us to disgust. So verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members wretched man that i am he begins by saying this this is to be a law so after 25 years or so of walking with the lord paul finally figures out this law or he figures out this thing and the way that it works he says, I, I delight because I, I am of the Lord, which is a good thing. So if you are delighting in the law, that's another evidence that you have faith in Christ. But delight is not enough to save you. For Paul goes on to say, I, I delight in the law. I want to do the law. I think that the law is good. I know that God has given it to me so that I may know how to, how to walk. And when I am walking, that gives evidence that I am walking with the Lord. But he says this, I, so I delight in the law. I want to do what is right. But he says evil is right there. It's almost like, you remember those old cartoons when you have like the, the, the demon on this side and the angel on this side and you're walking through life and you've got them both talking in your ears and you're like, which one am I gonna listen to? Well, eventually one of those has to get squashed. And what Paul is saying here is almost like as you're walking down this, you know you desire to do the right thing, so you got the, the voice of God in this ear, the angel saying, do this, do this, this is the right way to go. But then you've got this demon over here going, don't go that way. And you're, you're in this battle. So I, I, evil's right there. Which sometimes we, we, this becomes, this delighting in the law becomes another way that we want to attempt to fix ourselves. For we say, if I spend all of my time just reading the Bible, delighting in the laws of God, then that's going to somehow just make me good. But that won't fix us either. For Paul gives us insight into this, this battle. He says it's not only just a battle of, of, of my desire and my, my delight, but he says there's this war between my mind and my members. This is a battle, like I know the good I ought to do. I know what the Lord requires. I know what the Lord desires, and I know I want that. But my members, like I, God's speaking to me through my mind, and I'm reading it, and it's, it's making sense, like I know the truths of God, but I want to exchange the truths of God for a lie because my body is crying out to do evil. It wants to do these. My, my, my heart doesn't want to be there. My hands want to do evil things. And Paul comes to the place where he just finally says in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Have you ever been there in your life? Like where you're walking with the Lord, you know you want to be right next to the Lord. You love his presence. You love his grace. You love just being so intimately in encountering the Lord. But then you look at your life and you're like, you're trying to struggle and doing all these crazy things, and you're trying to, to fix yourself, and you're just at the point where you want to pull your hair out. I've been in this place as many times as I'm mostly bald because 
Like, I, you come to that place where you're just like, I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched man. I can't fix myself. God, just forget me. Go use someone else. Because I'm struggling with this. I've been struggling with this sin for eight years. Like the same thing I've been struggling with for eight years, God. I'm wretched. You can't use me. You can't want to use me. And God says, we're going to find out. He's going to say, I want to use you. Like you're wretched, that's great. Because the difference is now you're wretched. You used to be wicked. Like that was all chapters one through four of Romans is to remind us, you're wicked, you're wicked, you're wicked, you're wicked. You need someone to save you. You need a savior. And Jesus Christ can be that savior to save you from your sins and reunite you and reconcile you back to God. That was one through four. But now he's reminded us, he says, you're no longer that way. You're no longer wicked. You may be wretched, but wretched is way better than being wicked. I'll take wretched any day. Don't make me wicked anymore. I want to be wretched. I thank God for wretchedness because it reminds me that he's working in me, that he's reminding me, and he's pointing out the things in my life that are displeasing to him. So yes, I'm wretched. Let me come to the place where I get to the place where I say, I can't. I can't fix myself. I'm tired of fixing myself. I need someone greater to step in and save me from my wretchedness. I'm disappointed and I'm disgusted with my own life. But look at the second part of verse 24. The second part of verse 24 is, is beautiful. For Paul cries out, and this is the third thing we see, deliverance is needed. If we want to live holy life, it's not going to come from desire. It's not going to come from delighting in the law. It's going to come from deliverance. Deliverance is needed, and we see deliverance is provided. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, Paul knows that there'll come a point in his life, because we, we know that there's the present and we know the future, and when we come to faith in Christ, we know that our lives are sealed for heaven, that there will come a point where we will reign with Christ in heaven, and we will be fine. There'll no longer, this sin nature will totally be put to death, and we'll be in right standing with God. We'll be able to worship God unhindered completely. But for now, there's this body, we know this is body of death and paul says who will deliver me from this body of death and here is the answer he says thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord who's gonna save us who's gonna help bring about this holiness that we desire it's not gonna be me it's going to be god through jesus christ our lord When we come to the place like Paul, I need help. I need help. I need help, Lord, to live this holy life. Lord, please use me. And if we come to realize that the law can't do it, I can't do it, we come to the place where we ask the question, is there any hope? And Paul in chapter chapter 7, verse 25, like a herald that is crying out to to the church, he says there is hope can't tell you how many times I've sat, myself struggled, but I've also sat with other believers across the table where they begin to, 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 to give me the, the list of their life where they're like, I am a wretched, pitiful person. Like I know this, this sin in my life. I, I don't desire to, to, to be in God's word. I, 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 I'm angry. I, I, I hate my kids. I, I, I hate my job. And you're just at this place where you're just totally at a, at a place of, of hopelessness. And Paul, like a herald, crawls out to the church. And this is one of the things I think the greatest need for the church today 
for believers today is to understand the hope that we have in Christ. The hope was just not to save you, but the hope that we have in Christ is that he is in the process of sanctifying us. He's in this process, and so our hope is that he doesn't just get us saved and say, okay, go figure it out on your own. No, but he's given us a way, and we're going to look more deeply into this next week. We're going to look more into the work of the Holy Spirit. That's all next week and the week after that. But there is hope. There is hope. God has given us the provision that we need. And Jesus is the answer. As he always is and always has been. Jesus always is the answer. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you an equation, two equations that I want you to try to work out this week, okay? The first equation is this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Write that down. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you got Jesus, you got everything. But the second equation is Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Like if you want Jesus and something else, then you've got nothing. But if you just want Jesus alone, you're like, all I need is Jesus in my life. Just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Then you have everything. You have everything that you need. Next week, we're going to look more about that, what the Holy Spirit and what, that, what he provides and the power he provides for a holy life. You may just be sitting here today well, saying to yourself, why can't it be any other way? Like, why does it have to be just Jesus? And the reason it has to be just Jesus is because finding any other way to live a holy life takes glory away from God. If somehow we can manufacture holiness, then in the end, we don't need God. And if somehow you can do that, you don't need God for sanctification, then you work it backwards, then you probably don't need God for salvation. And we know that we need God for salvation. We, it's clear in scripture that you need God for salvation. We also need God for sanctification. So if I can somehow attain holiness on my own or through the law or through my own ac- actions, then at the end of the day, righteousness is based on me and it's found in me instead of in Christ. So as we come to our time of close, I want to ask you just for a moment to, to look at your life. How is it that holiness is being worked out in you? Like, can you just for a moment, like, look where you're at now and, and look back to who you were eight years ago and just say, am I different today? Like, do I love God more? Am I more like God? Some of you weren't even born. I got that from the front row. Like, eight years ago, like, how, how, drinking milk. I don't, I don't know. Like, are you different now? If you are, that's because the work of the Holy Spirit has been working it in you and been changing you and bringing about this godliness and this holiness. But today, are you at a place, as you look at your life, are you frustrated with your life? Are you defeated in your life? Are you disgusted with your life? Like, if you're a believer and there's, there's not parts of that in you, then I would, I would really begin to question Like if you really are walking with the Lord. Because when you're walking with the Lord, as we learned last week, the Spirit of God is going to begin to reveal to you the things in your life that are not holy. Where the the, the areas of your life we haven't given control over to the Lord yet. 
So you should at some point. Now, some of us go through seasons of life where, we, where the Lord is really just opens up Pandora's box of our life, and he's like, look at your sin. You're like, ah, I don't know what to do. It feels like it's so overwhelming. Maybe, maybe you've been there, but sometimes the, you hear the small voice of the Spirit saying, hey, this is something that might not be right. Like maybe the way that you respond to your spouse or maybe the way you pick up the phone or the way that, I don't know, just different things that you do, those are little things that you, you begin to realize um, point to larger things in your life. But if you're here this morning, you're at a place of frustration, defeat, disgust, let me give you the answer. Call out for deliverance. Like, Lord, please deliver me from my sin. Please deliver me from myself. And guess what God is going to do, as he always promises he does? Those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those that ask the Lord to come near to them, the Lord comes near. And when we ask the Lord, we say, God, this is the mess that I've made. The Lord draws close to us, and he says, okay, if you're willing to let go, I'll fix it. I've got to come to that place. So this week, as you go through your life, I want you to keep this in mind. Like As you realize that you fail and you have um, challenges this week, don't try to fix it through your desires. Don't try to fix it through delighting but fix it through asking the Lord to deliver you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for loving us. And God, we know that you are good. And Father, we know that there, the walk of the Christian life is a true battle. It's, and it's a battle because, not because you necessarily make it a battle, but because we make it a battle. Father, we still strive for control and we still try uh, to rule our own lives when we know and we know and we know the true life comes when we surrender. So Father, today, would you continue to do this mighty work in us? Help us become aware of our sin, but also help us to learn the right way to deal with our sin. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray that your, your word has gone out and your word has brought about a word of conviction on the heart of the hearer. And I pray that the, those that have heard would respond today by trusting you and placing their faith in you. But Father, for the believer here today, I pray that they have been encouraged. I pray that we have been challenged. And I pray, God, that you would bring about the change that we desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.